March 3rd, 2022, we're in Masechet Sanhedrin, and before the Mishnah, which is at the bottom, two lines from the bottom, it's about six lines up, so it means it's eight lines from the bottom, the third word on the line of the word is Ta, Ta Shema. But before we read that, just very briefly, something that, uh, that arose in the class yesterday, something that we were discussing, was the words in the Gemara, twice. The Gemara twice described Katan, which was after Kitana, in the context of Barda'at were the words that we were using yesterday, right? What is the requisite and appropriate halachic knowledge, or da'at, define the word accordingly, that a child has <coughs> below the age of, let's call it 13 or 12, <coughs> for a male or a female? And what the Gemara stated unequivocally, quite clearly, was the following. Technically speaking, again, technically speaking, a child should be punished to the extent that they would be put to death below the age of 13 or 12. However, it's Rahmana who dehas Aleh or Allah. It's the Torah which has this Rahamim, this mercy, this compassion upon the child. Those are the words of the Gemara. And the Gemara, of course, contrasted that to the animal. The Torah has no mercy on the animal. It has the mercy on the human being, the child, which means to say, said the Gemara, in its technical aspect, less relevant but important to mention nonetheless, the child can be considered mezid, their act was willingly done, performed with the requisite knowledge and understanding, even though we're not punishing them for it. And as a result, there's takala, which are the words we were using in the Gemara. We'll get to this whole perek on Ben Sorero More. But for now, this is our issue specifically. A katan, does it a baldat or not? And again, so that, that was, for many, I think, an alarming uh, reality check. And it was a statement of the Torah, technically speaking, would obligate a child in the death penalty, not juvenile court, but adult court. However, it's the Torah telling you'll have rahamim. I was told by someone yesterday that it might work that way in America as well. In other words, juvenile court is a rahamim on the children. It's not that we assume, and again, we're dealing with older children in an American court system, but it's not that we assume that it was bishogeg or beones, better yet. We assume it was bemezir. America who the has Aleh. Anyway, that being the case, I mentioned very briefly off the cuff in that context that that gives you a certain, sheds a little light on chinuch, below the age of da'at. Now again, you're performing mitzvot together with the children. Doing it at the highest level is, is something very appropriate. The child, we're being told by the Gemara, is on that level of an adult. That means we're treating them, so to speak, as an adult. It's only that we're invoking compassion with regards to them and understanding mis- misgivings and wrongdoings. Well, on that line, on the flip end of it, Shohan Aruch in Siman Shin Mem Gimal is talking about Katan HaOchel Nevelot in Betin Mesuvim Lehafrishot, a sugya in one or two places in Talmud. Don't want to specifically address that. I want to address what Rama quotes at the end of this Siman Shin Mem Gimal. He writes the following, Rama Rabbi Moshe Yisilis, Katan. If a child, when he was a child, uh, either struck his father or alternatively did any other sin, again, in that childlike state of age. That child doesn't need to do... Below 13. Below 13. Below 13. Below 13. Even though he doesn't need to repent when he gets older, nonetheless... Even though 
he should nonetheless, even though he's not required, obligated to repent to do Tisha B'Av, Toblo, it's appropriate for him to do so. I don't understand. If we were working with our understanding of Katan a day ago, two days ago, oh, Toblo, for what reason? The child did nothing. The child, I, I'm, I feel bad about the consequences, but is he any different than the pole fell down, Lo Aleno, and killed the person? So the child killed the person. He was the pole that fell down. He was Be'onis. He's a child. He's Eno Bardat. Why was it? How is it that Rama is claiming that it's appropriate to do Teshubah? So the classic. Into- He's not a pole, correct, but that's the statement. If you had it as the general understanding of Katan, so he is a pole. Why is he not getting punished? If he's not a pole, so he should be getting punished. If he's more than a building which fell down, on the person, in his killing, in his ruthless killing, then he should be fully punished. Statement of Rama, in turn, of our Gemara, really, and that's Magen Abraham sources this to our Gemara. It's not a poem. It's Rahmanahu Tehasale. It's the Torah has that compassion upon the child not to punish him or her. But technically speaking, they sinned. And it's not only that it's the kind, in other words, the traditional interpretation of Rama over here would be as follows. Listen, a pole can't do teshubah. A child could do teshubah. It's not because they did the action. They had no ma'aseh avera, ma'aseh hariga. But the action was done. It's what people like to describe as the window is broken. All right, but that's not you know, doing teshubah for that. That's a reality. Maybe you're doing teshubah for that. Magen Abraham suggests over here it's more than that. The more than that goes as follows. It's the katan did the sin. The katan should have been punished for the sin. Katan was Rahmanahu de Hasale. The Torah has Rahamim, has compassion upon him. And as a result, it's very appropriate for them to do Tishubah when older. What, what's doing there? I love it. Because it says Toblo. If you said. If you it's want to not say, obligation, ultimately so, speaking. So then he's not. So at the end of the day, he's not. He was obligated, you're saying. The reading in our That's the words of our Gemara. It's technically, he's not a pole, as you said. He's a human being, a sentient, conscious human being. And we, by words of the Torah, have compassion upon him or her not to kill them. As a result, you ask when they're older, it should be a hiyuv to do teshubah. We can't make it a hiyuv because there's no honesh, there's no hiyuv attached to them from before him. What we can do is say it's very appropriate. You're saying there's, there's no hiyuv. It's a gray zone. It's a gray zone. He did something wrong. We're going to attach the action to him. He's not held accountable. But we will say to him, but you did wrong. I didn't do wrong. I didn't do anything. You did do something. We just won't punish you for it. Uh, you know, as a parent, I certainly can relate to that. Thankfully, my children have not done anything egregious, but I exert, in my mind, with them often, I'm not exonerating them of wrongdoing. I do believe that they know exactly what they did wrong. I feel that in context, in situation, it's inappropriate to punish them. I do hope they're going to have uh, regret about it afterwards. That's the Ramah here. That, in turn, is our Gemara. It's one vantage point, and it's, and it's an eye-opening one. Yes, uh, uh, Stan. gets married at three, and that four has illicit relationship. Right. She's not what? She's not punished. That's what I, we just read. We read that yesterday. It's Mishnah Nida. She's not punished, but, says the Gemara, there is Takala. There was what we call a Ma'ase Avera. There was a Ma'ase Avera. There was no Da'at. There was Da'at. 
we're told by the Torah to not consider it that. Is the, is the, so the Torah is separating the da'at from the action. It's in other words, from the younger, from the, from the kata, the Torah is saying he doesn't have a da'at. He has the da'at. Jesse, he the, da'at. the hidush here is he has da'at, but we treat him as if he doesn't have da'at. It's an alternative so universe. Girl, three-year-old girl, three-year-old girl we are assuming has da'at. So, okay, so Jesse, Jesse, Jesse says, listen, we have a certain age at which point we say that. For example, by kinyan, a child, when you're dealing with kinyan acquiring something, you're not dealing with punishment, you're dealing with when they have that, so we give a specific age, six or seven years old. So you're correct. We're going to have a cutoff for what we call that with regards to absolute intent and understanding. But ultimately speaking, how do you square that? He has intention for acquiring something. But we're not going to punish him. Our Gemara resolved that. Our Gemara says, that's right. We just have compassion upon him to the extent that so Tishuba is appropriate. All right, moving ahead and concluding this Gemara, the Gemara just puts it all together. And very briefly, before we rush into the next Mishnah, what the Gemara had done in the in the, in, in the span of about an Amud or so I'm moved in a little bit, the Gemara was wondering two issues and tried to prove them both, well, we'll try to prove them both from the same line in the Mishnah. A situation of kalon beli takala and takala beli kalon, you might recall those words, but here are the two circumstances. Number one, a non-Jew had relations with the animal, and number two, a Jew had relations with the animal, bishogig. In the first circumstance, no kalon, yes takala. In the second circumstance, I hope we remember those words, but just for another five minutes. In the second circumstance, what you're dealing with when the Jew did it is, yes, kalon, no takalat, because he did it bishogeg. We tried to prove, and that's what began this whole thing, from that second to last line in the Mishnah, where the second to last line seemed to be talking only about takala or only about kalon, that the non-Jew had relations is, pun- the animal is punishable by death. We said, no, maybe it's a reference to this Second halakha, the halakha of the Israel who commits this bishogeg. Lastly, says the Gemara Tashema, let's go back to our Mishnah in this whole conversation of Rav Hamnuna and prove from that second to last line the issue of Rav Hamnuna. Rav Hamnuna's issue, if you recall, is the Yisrael She'asa Bishogeg. Those are the words, second to last, those are the last words in the Mishnah. My love, midde sefata kala ve kalon reisha kalon belotakala. From the last words, from Mishnah, which seem to be setting forth both kalon and takala. The second to last words in the Mishnah are only talking about one. What would the circumstance situation be? Yisrael Perhaps that's the circumstance of the animal. The animal. The animal. There's no difference. No, the animal. The animal is niskal. The animal, that's what we're talking about. The animal is niskal. So it says, No, no, oh, you're talking about the, the last line. Of course, there's two, two lines in the Mishnah that describe the killing of the animal. The last line, which talks about the niskal, that's mezid, no question, that's takala and kalon. The second to last line, where we talk just about the takala, there's no words, shenizkal aliyada. That's where we're suggesting shogeg, 100%, Charlie. Says the Gemara, lo, the Gemara says instead, sefa takala ve kalon, resha takala belo kalon, vehidame, ovet kochabim bala behema, uchtebaumine, merav sheshat. Ultimately speaking, says the Gemara, you cannot, it's impossible to prove from our Mishnah per se, either the halacha which Rav Sheshat wondered, 
or the halacha which Rav Hamnuna wondered. We can't prove from that second to last line that the halacha is oved kochavim habala behema habehema neheregit, and we can't prove either that Yisrael habala behema b'shogeg habehema neheregit, because in each of these claims, we would counterclaim that that second to last line was talking about the other case. It's not talking, we assume, about both of them. And in turn, we're left with a question in both of them. We don't know the halakha so, so sufficiently in either. Bestiality, Bishogeg. We don't kill the animal, Bishogeg, right? Right. Okay, therefore, then, then we, we accept the fact that the kid is Bishogeg. One more time. He's saying that if, uh, the, his opinion is we both kill the kid, even the Bishogeg, but with the <coughs> That's what the Gemara suggested, that there would be Takala even for the child. You don't kill the, the animal when a, when a Jew does a Bishogeg, even when a Goy does a Bishogeg, when a Jew does a Bishogeg. Maybe, if we could prove that sufficiently. We're uncertain what the halakha yeah, is when the behemah b'shogeg. <laughs> so you think, once we can't sufficiently prove it, this is your suggestion, we now turn back the clock on what we said earlier yeah. and we suggest that the katan reality was just a dehiyah be'almam, not necessarily upheld. It's a possibility. Alternatively, alternatively, what some of the aharonim actually suggest contrary to our Magen Abraham that we began the class with, is that once the Torah says differently, with the same line of, of logic as you, Morris, um, once the Torah is hasale, once the Torah says you should have compassion, why is the Torah saying have compassion? If the guy's, if the guy's supposed to be punished, if he had a ma'azavira, you shouldn't have compassion. You have to put him to death. It must be that the punchline is, and therefore don't believe that he has that. You understand? That's, I mean, it, it, it works with your claim. Morris, the screaming is a sign of whether it was consensual or rape. No, but, all right, all right, on that. Yeah, all right. Anyway, says the next Mishnah. Interesting points you raise. So that's the next Mishnah. The next Mishnah will deal with the next in the line of sins punishable by Sikila, the Migadef, a person who curses HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, what the Gemara will refer to this individual as, the Mishnah will call it Migadef. Uh, the Torah calls it Mikalel, or we'll see Nokev. Um, and the Gemara will refer to it, and don't get thrown off by this, as Birkat Hashem, the blessing of God. Now, this is not a blessing of God. It's certainly a curse of God. It's what we call Lashon Saginahor. Instead of speaking wrongfully, even when we refer to it, we call it Birkat Hashem instead of Kilelat Hashem. That's what we're going to see in the Gemara. It's significant that it's called Birkat Hashem for a mnemonic as well. We'll see at the bottom of Dafnun Vava Mudal if there are Sheva Mitzvot B'nei Noach. There are the seven Mitzvot, which even non-Jews, those who are not B'Torah Mitzvot, are commanded. And, uh, well, there are what we call Aleph, Bet, Gimal, Dalet, and then the three Hamurot. Three Hamurot being Gidu, Yarayot, Shfichut, Amim, Avodah, Zarah. Those are the ones that we say, Yehareg, Val, Yavor. And then there's Aleph, Bet, Gimal, Dalet. This is a mnemonic. 
Aleph is even in a high bet is Birkat Hashem, Gimal Gezel, Dalid is Dinim. So the fact that we have this Lashon Saginawa just makes it easier to remember as well what the Sheva Mitzvot Benenoah are. Anyway, says the Mishnah HaMegadef, a person who blasphemes, a person who speaks uh, wrongfully about God and cursing him, Enochayav Adshi Yifaresh. Hashem, the, the liability, the, the hiyuv, it doesn't say the sin, it says the hiyuv, the death penalty is only when he's mifaresh et Hashem. You need to mention God's name in the context of this curse. So it can't just be a curse about, in context, in situation. It says Rashi, if someone mentions God's name and then you curse, it can't be. You, have, you, as or that person, as the cursor, as the blasphemer, has to mention God's name. Uh, yes? We, we will deal with this in the Gemara. We will deal with this. We will we will deal with this in the Gemara. Important. What about English? Well, you know that there are what's called kinuyim anyway. In other words, what, which one, Robbie? Which one of God's names? I understand. I'm going a step before you. Which one of God's names? Might just be the Yotke Vavke. Uncertain about that right now. Says the Mishnah. Amar Biyoshua ben Korcha. Yoshua ben Korcha, accepting that initial premise, accepting that it needs to be mifaresh Hashem, is nervous, as should we all be, about how you have court proceedings in such a circumstance. Do you mean to say every time the witnesses and judges deal with this situation, they're going to actually mention the curse together with God? Bechol yom, every day, it would not be so, as they're dealing with this judgment of this individual. Danine ta'edim bekinui. A kinui, the way we use it today, is as a, as a nickname, which means to say we replace the name of God with another name. Uh, for example, says the Mishnah, Yake yose et yose. Instead of saying that the individual said, Yake yodke vavke et yodke vavke, God's name, we give a kinui, we use a name like yose. So we have two questions on that. Number one, what's with yose? It's a beautiful name. I, I, one of my good friends when I was younger was Yossi, but I mean, what's, uh, why yose? That's number one. Number two, what's with the yake et, uh, et yose? Uh, we'll talk about that second one in the Gemara. First and foremost over here, what's yose and yose? So of course, that's the kinui. Why kinui for God? Yose, yod vav samech yod, says Rashi for two reasons. Number one, it's four letters. Number two, the gematria of yose is identical to Elohim. So as a result, that was the name the Mishnah chose as the Kinui. It means they could have used technically any name. They could have done, when they're talking about what the person said, instead of saying God's name, they would replace it with another one. Why are you doing so? It's inappropriate. We do need to judge accordingly. I don't want to use that word. We don't use God's name in this context. You might say it's only don't don't get misled by that. No, no, don't get misled by that. Certainly not. Uh, anyways, but I like the Duke at, at this juncture. Says the Mishnah onward. Okay, so that's that's one uh, a technical issue with regards to Megadef. Next, Nigmar Hadin. What about Gemar Hadin? Gemar Hadin means verdict. As we're summarizing the issue, as we're dealing with the final line, Lohor Ela, you don't, and you no longer say, since the person said, no, we're not doing that any longer. This is the punchline, the final line. We need to be explicit. We need to be clear about what took place, what transpired, what the witnesses said. So you won't any longer use kinui. But hara, obviously, are you going to mention the curse of God in court with people listening? We remove any of the talmidim or others who are in the court at that time. Tell them, please go outside now. What do we do? We turn to the gadol, the greatest of the witnesses. 
Emor Mashashamata. I said, all right, we're up to the final line over here. You've been talking quote unquote in codes and nicknames throughout, but please now be explicit. There's nobody around, nothing to be embarrassed about. Be careful how you say this, but please say exactly what you heard this individual about whom we're testifying say. Beferush, explicitly, Behu Omer, and he says so. And as he says, so the, the judges stand up out of fear, out of uh, the, the, the shock and awe of the moment. And they tear, they rend their, their garments and they don't then sew them up. It's an act of mourning. That's the halacha. The halacha is if you hear, the witnesses, for example, are supposed to, at the time of hearing this, they're supposed to rend their garments and not then sew them up in the uh, regular way. This is a way of saying this is a tragedy, it's a travesty. I can't believe this just took place. That's what would happen. Now, keep in mind, the only one who has spoken up is the gadol shebenehim. Technically speaking, at the very least, midrabbanan, the gemara will tell us on daf samech, all the witnesses need to say in a regular court case what they saw or what they heard. Every single one of them is supposed to speak. Over here so far, only the Gadol spoke. Hasheni, the second witness, Omer Afani Kamohu. He would then speak up and say, not the same words. He wouldn't repeat it. He would say, Afani Kamohu. I heard similar to him. Uh, why not repeat it? Ah, we heard it once. We, the Gemara says we go back to Din Torah. According to the Torah, you don't need to hear the same thing from all of them. And as a result, he can just say, I heard as well. I heard just like him. We, we, you're supposed to be explicit, but we're talking about cursing God's name. Haram. Inappropriate. If there's a third one, we'll discuss why the Mishnah is assuming or, or, or has it as a circumstance where there's even a third witness. Of course, you only need, technically speaking, two. Omer Afani Kamohu, he as well says, I heard the same thing as him. It's interesting that they can't just keep silent. In other words, the first one says, this is what I heard. The other two are standing next to him. Show me I'll call him in. What about the first one? The first one can't just say, I heard the first one's name, Fehush. I'm going to say it again in blasphemy? Yes. There's such a thing like that? We need to be clear. Did you anything else like that? I do. Always. What did he say? Say exactly what he said. Each letter I asked. Not each letter. Each word. Each word. I'm being clear exactly what I heard. We're judges. We can't play around. Listen. Unfortunately, but I've been involved, as imagine, I have many other people in circumstances where the people who are talking to me don't want to repeat either what they did or what they saw others do or what they were involved with. And they're speaking in code words throughout, and I accept it, and I'm dealing with it, and it's, it's, it's an appropriate way to be talking. When it comes down to it, actually dealing with the issue, I say, I'm sorry to say it like this now, but we need to be explicit because I have to actually understand what happened. I've been conjuring, conjuring up in my mind throughout. What's that? I'm not going to kill them. In court, correct, we're going to kill them. We're dealing with killing. I can't be making any mistake. You've been saying Yosef the whole time. For all I know, you actually heard Yosef. I know we told you to do that. You knew it. What's that? The witnesses were supposed to be Korea Bisha'at Ma'aseh. And as a result, it's only the Dayanim at this point. But it, you see, what, what the, the Mishnah does reference at the end over here, I, I guess Jared's very excited about it. Me, it disturbs me a little, is that the other two witnesses don't need to speak up. Um, but they do need to say something. They need to say, Afani Kamohu. I would say they don't say anything. They just keep quiet. You have witnesses standing there. One speaks and the other two are quiet. Now she points this out. Now she says they have to say at least, Afani Kamohu. I have like him. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein brings this in the context of the following. The halacha is on Friday night in Siman Resh Ayin Aleph in, in Shohan Aruch, in Saif Yod. Shohan Aruch says that we stand up when we say the words, Vaychulu. 
to stand up for the words Vaychulu Ramah, deliberates about this, says, Asham Ashkenazim stand up for that, and they sit down for the rest of Kiddush. But we all stand up, ideally, for Vaychulu. Vaychulu, Vaychulu is, is a testimony to God's creation or finishing of the creation of the world. And as a result, standing up is necessary. You would think you should sit down. We sit down, for example, Sfaradim Fahavdalah. We sit down, we have a certain Kavirut, we're involving everyone. Why are we standing up for Kiddush on Friday? Now, the answer is only because of Vaychulu. Vaychulu makes us stand up because we're testifying, and then we stand up for the rest of it as well. But some Ashkenazim, until today, stand up for Vaychulum, the yeshiva I studied in, that's what they did, and then they sat down for the rest of the Kiddush. All right, what about in or such a... separation? What's that? Make a separation. No, because you sit down because you're beginning your se'udah with the kiddush. So you specifically sit down for that reason. Well, that being the case, Rav Moshe Feinstein was bothered, not bothered, he wondered, is this vaychulu, as the people are listening to it, what if one of them is sitting down, for example? Now, in this circumstance, are they being yoseh edut shomea ka'oneh? Which means to say, are they listening to his words and it's as if they're testifying, or this is just part of the kiddush? Now, generally speaking, we assume kiddush, if I heard it from another person, shomea ka'oneh, the Gemara tells us this in Masechet Sukkah, there is such a concept of shomea ka'oneh, there is a concept of shomea ka'oneh, which means to say, not ta'oneh, which means to say, if the person states it, and I have, and he has, has Kavanah to be Yosei and he to be Mosimi. That's the way it's going to work. In this circumstance, perhaps I have to be standing up. Uh, the suggestion of Moshe Feinstein is by Eidut. There's no such thing as Shomea Kaone. He proves it from our Mishnah. In our Mishnah, they couldn't just keep quiet. They have to say, Afani Kamu. And as a result, well, if they're sitting down, well, they're sitting down in that circumstance. What? Say it again. Because why do you need to say something? I'm standing next to him. And I'm keeping quiet. And we are standing together in testimony. I need to speak up. But you're saying that it's a testimony they have to speak up. If there's anything else, they have to talk. That's exactly the point. Yeah. And it's a testimony they have to talk. Joey, that's exactly the point. The point is they have to speak up. Now, the Gemara will tell us only do they need to be explicit. Mm-hmm. Which means, Minat Torah, you don't need to be explicit. So what can you do? I would say, yeah, you could be quiet. Mishnah says you need to say something. Mm-hmm. Why do you need to say something? Because there's no such thing as Shomea Ka'onei Anei Dut. That's the, that's the Hadush Yesh Charles. No, but is not, you're asking about Vaychulu. Vaychulu after Amidah. So there is, uh, Bach talks about this, other of them, of, other of them, Fashim. I used to, when I was younger, I, I used to have more Kavanah, number one. Number two, the Kahal didn't used to wait for me. Number, whatever, I used to turn to someone and have them. The Minhag of the Sfaradim, generally speaking, is that we don't necessitate it. We say it's Ke'en Edut, it's not Mamash Edut. On Friday night at the table, you're just saying it. Edut. So Charles says as well, the vaychulu that you made in Knees, technically speaking, you already did your testimony. I think that's what you're pointing out, which is along the same lines. In other words, that's for that reason, for example, we assume the men around the table on Friday night, as no shomea ka'one, when did you do your testimony? The assumption is, this is what the Mephashim write over there in Rishayin Aleph, you already did it in Knees. In other words, what Moshe finds out, wait a second, if there's no shomea ka'one, so then everyone should be singing vaychulu together. We don't, you did it in Knees already. How do you, isn't there an issue with your family, doing a do with your family members, and if you have Katan and all that, that we're really getting 
technical on Yes, but we're not getting that technical. You know, you're right. We're, we're getting technical aspects, says Jesse, but let's check this a little bit because women could be motzi men in Kiddush. And so he brings a proof it's not mamash edut if it were that to that respect. But I will tell you as well, it might be hand in hand with what we're discussing. I don't remember if Moshe Feinstein bringing this as a proof. It might be hand in hand. We're not necessarily being to the extent that maybe that's why a woman could be saying that. In other words, it's her own business, and I was supposed to have said it perhaps separately. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, Rob. Did he, did he say, okay, so he's not saying specifically here that he said Hashem's name because it's not saying that. Or, or they giving this The Mishnah says one word. Hamegadef Eno Hayav Yifaresh Hashem. Hashem, the name. Say the name of Hashem. The name of Hashem. In a regular case of, of somebody witnesses a crime, the crime, Min HaTorah, says the Gemara on Samech. Yes. Midrabanan, we make you say exactly what you saw. Min HaTorah, according to, you know, in God's playbook, the answer is yes. Midrabanan, we want to hear it exactly and explicitly from you. This is the exception. Says the Gemara Tana. Yes. No, one thing, I mean, technically, though, this person is a Megadev also. He's saying what the other person said. There's no... That's my issue. No, the word. One guy is Megadev. He is Megadev. It's not Megadev. He's a Me'id. He's a Me'id, but he is saying... It's not Megadev. Come on. You can appreciate that. Context is everything. Harambam writes, Kiddush Hashem. Harambam in his Sefer HaMitzvot, what he defines. That's right. No, but he's asking when the individual... When the individual is now being mefaresh, because that's what he's saying he heard, he's saying he's migadef as well. The answer is Harambam, when he talks about Kiddush Hashem, for example, a well-known fact, says Harambam, based on the halakha, of course, stating the halakha, Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying the name of God, is not per se what your intention or quote-unquote the reality of what you were doing is. It's what others understand. In turn, it's the same thing over here. The context is everything. So that's the case, then what the second one to say it? That's the answer. No, 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 no. There's another step over here. You're right, it's not Megadev. Nobody's saying it's Megadev, but it's Haram. That's why we're telling everyone to go outside as well. Says the Gemara over here. Says over here, says that they don't make the witnesses say anything. It's against that Mishnah. It's against that Mishnah. That's right. Yeah, says the Gemara Tanah, states, Ad Shiyevarech Shem Beshem. As I told you earlier, the word Yevarech is Lashon Saginahor, it's a euphemism. We mean Megadech, Mekalev. So the Beraita explains that the way in which the person's going to be Hayav, not that we're going to give them lashes or punish them, but the way we're going to kill them is only if they cursed God with God. What does that mean? For example, in our Mishnah, you say, Yake Yose et Yose. Yose, of course, being Shem Hashem. So it can't be just a curse of God. It's a curse of God by means of God's name. It means, ultimately speaking, in the name of God, God should be cursed. Something along those lines. Which means to say, if you go to Morris's you know, claim throughout, he says all the time, the Hachamim are finding reasons to say, we're not going to be killing as many people as you believe if you were to just open the Torah. It's another one of those cases. It's not, and Ran Rabbeinu Nisim is very clear, it's not that we're not going to punish the individual if they just cursed God. 
But if they don't do it in this very technical way, which the Gemara will be clear about now throughout this Amud, we won't put them to death. It has to be like the Mishnah says, Yake Yose et Yose. Tana Achi Varech Shem Bishem. Ask the Gemara Minahanemile. The Beraita stated. The Mishnah made clear that the halakha is, it needs to be Shem, Beshem, the name of God, with the name of God, from where do we derive these words? Amar Shemuel, Amar Kera, Venokev Shem, Venokbo Shem, Yumat, twice in the context of this sin and punishment, the Torah says, Venokvo, and the, the Pasuk says, Venokev. Venokev, the Gemara will in just a few moments, or a day, will explain to us that it's a reference to a person who's speaking wrongfully, who's cursing God. Twice in the same context, same Pasuk, it mentions, Nokev Benokvo, curses with curses. It means that we're referring to cursing God with God's name as well. Says the Gemara right now, Mimai, how do you know, Dehai Nokev Lishna Debaruchehu? How do you know that when the Torah uses that word, Nokev, how do you know it's referring to a curse? So I've been telling it to you. We've been assuming it. You open the Chumash, you look at the English translation, it's going to tell you a person who blasphemes. Who said? What does the word nokiv actually mean? Again, we're assuming it means to curse. What does the word actually mean? We know that word. We say it in Asher Yazar all the time. Nekavim, nekavim. We say it when we refer to in Hebrew a woman, a nekeva. Nekiv means a hole. Nekiv are the holes in our body, nekavim, nekavim, and biologically a woman has a nekiv. That's why she's known as a nekeva. Well, that being the case, how does that refer to necessarily cursing God's name? Well, you kind of are carving out when you utter something, when you state something, you're carving that out. That's nekiv. But who said that's referring to cursing? Maybe it's referring to a physical carving out. What do I mean by a physical carving out? Maybe it's a reference the Gemara will ask in just one second to. The name of God is written on a clav, on a piece of paper. And then I take a knife, I take a sword, I take a something, and I actually carve it out. I erase God's name. I destroy God's name. Who said nokev means you're uttering with your mouth and, so to speak, uh, theoretically or not uh, not literally being a uh, carving out. Says the Gemara, how do you know mimai dahai nokev lishna? How do you know that that word nokev is a word which refers to the baruche of blessing, which means of cursing? Dichtiv answers the Gemara. Dichtiv, similar, we have it as cursing in the context of bil'am harasha, ma'ekov. The Pasuk says that about bil'am when he realizes he's not going to be able to pull this off or when he thinks he won't pull this off. Ma'ekov lo kabo kel. The Pasuk says in the context of bil'am bil'am. Am exclaims about himself, how am I going to curse? Who am I going to curse if God hasn't cursed them? The azharate, your assumption is it's just like that, kabo of Bil'am. And the azhara mehacha Elohim lo tekelel. The Torah furthermore says, in other words, that would be the onish, this pasuk that we mentioned just a moment ago. And the azhara, we're not going to be ma'anish unless we have our azhara, a warning as well, is Elohim or Elohim lo tekelel. The pasuk is talking both about nasi be'amecha, the important people, the Beit you can't curse them. But furthermore as well, alahatka you can't curse him as well. Maybe that's the reference. That's what we've been working with. That's what we assumed. Maybe it's not so. Maybe it's not so. Maybe what nokiv in the Torah means is mivrazhu. Maybe it's a reference to spearing, to stabbing God. How do you stab God? I told you. You take his name, you write on a piece of paper, you find a piece of paper, and you cut it. Dichtiv, after all, the Pasuk says, by Yehoyada hakohen. Pasuk says, by Yehoyada hakohen. Vayikob hor bedalto. Pasuk in that context is Yehoyada Kohen is putting up a, a, a kupa 
for the uh, Mikdash. He's trying to collect money for Beit Kabayit, and he puts this kupa at the door, the entranceway uh, to the Mikdash, and he puts a hole in it. That's a physical hole. Maybe Vayikob means physical. And the Pasuk in turn tells us in Sefer Devarim, you should lose the name, destroy the name of the Avodah Zarah, which means literally destroying it. Go into Eretz Yisrael and destroy it. Don't do so to your God, which means physically don't do so. Answers the Gemara. The reason I know that Vayikob and the, the Benokbo in the context of our sin is about uh, cursing God, Ba'ina, Shem, Beshem, Veleka. Says the Gemara. The reason I know, ironically, that what the Nekev in our context, the Menakev, Shem Hashem, the Nokev, Shem Hashem is referring to cursing is because the Pasuk twice says Benokbo and Hanokev, and it tells you you need to use the name in order to curse the name, in order to do that act to the name. Think about it in each circumstance. I can say you curse his name with his name. Can I say you stab his name with his name? How are you stabbing his name with his name? That's what the Gemara's initial suggestion on this matter is. Again, just very briefly summarizing, we talked about the Halachad Megadef, and we explained the Halachad Megadef from that Pasuk in the Torah, where the Torah talks about Nokeb Shem Hashem. We understand it as cursing as opposed to carving out or spearing or stabbing his name. Amen, amen.